We have emphasized that uh, this morning is America's birthday, but even more importantly, today is also Debbie Matthews' birthday. Happy birthday, Debbie. These flowers are given in her honor. Uh, She says that she is a firecracker baby. I've only heard William just say that she's a firecracker. Uh, If you would open your Bible to Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 12, and we will continue through the rest of the chapter. Acts chapter 1. Of course, this is after, immediately after the ascension. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away, which is about three quarters of a mile. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one... All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested arrested Jesus. He was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language Adeldama, Akeldama, um, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, and Mattathias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know all the heart or who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Mattathias, and he was numbered with the eleven disciples. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, again we ask that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word. And I pray that you would help me as I proclaim it. Uh, May I proclaim it boldly, clearly, and I pray that um, it would reach not only the ears, but the hearts of your people. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Originally, I was I had titled this sermon. In fact, it's in the bulletin, uh, titled "The Next Apostle," and I was looking intently at this issue of whether the apostles were right in choosing Mattathias, whether they were right in casting lots for them, or whether they had jumped the gun. And I was um, convinced that the eleven disciples had made a mistake in choosing Mattathias. Um, and um, as I continued to look at it, I uh, changed my view and ended up changing my approach to the passage. Um, and was going to lay a heavy emphasis originally on how does one discern the will of God, hence our responsive reading on God guiding us. But um, as I was studying the passage, I remembered a sermon that I heard 17 years ago when I was an uh, an intern at Independent Presbyterian Church in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, Terry Johnson, the pastor there, Terry is a man, uh, he preached on um, this passage in it. And it made such an impression on me that I I obtained a, a printed copy of the sermon. And as I looked at the passage, I also um, began to realize that the um, that my view of the disciples making a mistake was entirely wrong. And I will uh, show why a little later. But I changed my focus as I looked at Terry's uh, sermon from this passage. So I wanted to give him credit where credit is due. In fact, I even put a quote from that sermon on the front of the bulletin. And I'm going to quote him at length um, later in the sermon. Well, let's look at the text. Because um, as I look at this text... Now, I asked this question and I I ended up changing the text around and got it into the outline. And so the outline is accurate even though the title is is not. Uh, And so I asked this question because I think this is the question that is being asked by the text. How does one build a healthy church? The reason why I asked this question is because... Here in the, in the context, there's only ten days left until Pentecost. You know, the word Pentecost, 50. 50 days from the Passover until the celebration of Pentecost, uh, the, religion, the Jewish religious festival of Pentecost. And Passover was also at the same time that Jesus uh, died on the cross and was resurrected. And so Jesus, as we learned in verse 3, spent uh, 40 days with the disciples until he was ascended. And so there's 10 days left um, until Pentecost. And we know, because we've read ahead, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost was the day in which the Holy Spirit descended, uh, the day in which the disciples were uh, told to wait for. Uh, The church here, as we see it in verses 12 through 26, is in the church planting stage. Uh, They're still building the foundation. They needed to shore up a gap in the leadership, which we saw they, they filled that gap with Mattathias. 
and they're in a waiting mode, verses 4 and 5. While, they were, while Jesus was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they're... they're you know, as we think of a, of, a, of a church, you know, they are in the planting stage. They're not out being the church so much as they are simply uh, together being the church, but they're waiting. Jesus says, don't go out, but wait until you receive this promise of the Father. They had a central meeting place, in fact... Um, it was an upper room uh, when they when they left uh, the Mount of Olives. Uh, they walked about a quarter of a mile and they entered into the upper room. And uh, this upper room held about a hundred. It must have been a larger upper room because they could fit 120 people in there. They had about 120 in attendance, verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120, about the same size as Westminster Presbyterian Church. And this has nothing to do, I'm not commenting on Westminster, it was just, it's just interesting. You read all the, the uh, books and they talk about statistics and 90% of churches in America are under, under 100 people. And so I just find that interesting. Um, but here they are starting with 120. And there are two conditions here that the text points out that are essential for them to be healthy um, for and, and be, to be ready to have everything in place for the day of Pentecost. The first condition here is that the church must be of one mind. They returned to Jerusalem. They went into the upper room, verse 13, uh, where they were staying. Uh, he lists all the apostles, the eleven apostles, minus Judas um, Iscariot. And it says in verse 14, all these with one accord. In other words, they were of one mind. Uh, what were they of one mind about? What were they of one accord about? Well, they were of one accord uh, about the proclamation of the gospel. They were all committed to the proclamation of the gospel. Verse 8. Uh, you remember uh, Jesus' instruction, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We have here in verse 8, their mission, or first, they have had their message and their mission. Their message was clear. They were to testify that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus told them, you shall be my witnesses. The entirety of your testimony, the entirety of your witness is to me that I am the resurrected, ascended Lord of creation of heaven and earth. That I am the Savior of the world. So they were clear in their message. They were to point to Jesus. They were also clear in their mission. Their mission was to start in Jerusalem and then to move into all Judea and Samaria and then to move on to the ends of the earth. Their message was Jesus. 
their mission was to go out into all the earth. It is essential that we understand that we be of one mind with these early Christians. You boil everything here at Westminster Presbyterian Church away. All the, mis- all the ministries, everything else, you boil it down to what is absolutely essential. And what you are left with is our message, Jesus Christ. And our mission to witness to those immediately around us and to continue moving uh, on to the ends of the earth. Remember the Apostle Paul? He told the Corinthians, For I was resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is our message. And he mentions their mention, their mission also uh, in Corinthians. In the second epistle to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us or constrains us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all had died. And he died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God made Making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so it is my job at this moment to ask you, are you reconciled to God And if not, to implore you to be reconciled unto God. I shouldn't have closed this passage of Scripture because it just went through my mind that chapter 6 would be the appropriate um, application of what I'm saying right now. Because uh, in chapter 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So let me ask you, do you know Jesus Christ? Is He your Savior? If you don't know Him, you are estranged from God. Regardless of your works, regardless of your intentions, regardless of your supposed righteousness, you are estranged from God. And the only way you can be reconciled unto Him 
is through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus Christ came here to earth. That's why he was willing to be stretched out on that awful cross. That he might die upon it. That his blood might be shed upon it. That his body might go into the grave. That he might be resurrected in glory in order that he might reconcile sinners to our almighty and holy God. Are you reconciled to him? That is why Jesus came. He doesn't stand with his arms outstretched on a cross any longer. He is risen from the grave. But he holds his arms outstretched to all who will come to him. And he says, come to me now and be reconciled unto God. Our message is Jesus Christ. Our mission is to take that message to our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our relatives, and on out in concentric circles to the ends of the earth. So what about you? Are you on board with this mission? Are you on board with this message? If you are a member of this congregation, we have a ministry to you. But I want you to be clear that our mission, our, our mission to you, our ministry to you, is for the purpose of building you up and encouraging you so that you can be effective in your message and your mission. Uh, to your neighbors, to your friends, to your relatives. They were of one mind in this regard. They were also of one mind in their commitment to one another. They're all gathered together in this upper room. Uh, all the disciples, verse 13, plus, it says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. It's interesting. It says the women in your English translation, translation in verse 14, you say, well, who are these women? Well, it doesn't say the women. It doesn't have a definite article in the original Greek. It just says uh, women. Um, I don't know if that's significant or not. When I think of the women, I think of uh, Mary and Martha and all the other women who were at the tomb uh, when uh, Jesus was resurrected. Um, I don't know that for sure. I don't know uh, why it mentions uh, women. Certainly it was not that the 11 disciples... Um, and then Mary and um, Jesus' brothers, and then the rest of the 120 were women. I, I don't think that's the case. Uh, so why does it emphasize the women? Well, Christianity has made clear from its onset that women are not second-class citizens in the church. Uh, and I think that's the reason why. Right here in verse 14, that the women are issued a place of prominence. 
when I was in college, one of my assignments was in our class on world religions was to go and talk to someone in a, a religion different uh, than my own. So I went to uh, interview a um, a Jewish priest and our rabbi and uh, got a tour of the synagogue. And this was 1990 or 1991. Um, and you go into the synagogue, and there's the place for the men to sit very prominently. And over on a little alcove off by itself, that's where the women could sit. Um, or when I was uh, in Panama City, my wife and I became uh, good friends with a Muslim doctor, and we were sharing Christ with him. And uh, he honored us uh, as friends to the point that he invited us to um, the opening of a school. And we thought, well, do we support it? Do we, um, you know, go and, and show him some friendship and hopefully open this door? Well, we went. And uh, it was very interesting. I sat with the men in the place of prominence. My wife was all the way across the room. We didn't know anybody in the room. And she was over kind of back in the corner. Um, That's the way all women were treated uh, back in uh, the New Testament times. And Jesus Christ changed all that. He gave uh, the ladies a place of prominence. Uh, They had a vital place of leadership in the church. They were not ornaments there to look pretty or to serve the men. Now, they're not officers. And I'll make that case in a few moments. Why they are not officers. But... um, but Christianity gave women a place of prominence within the church. And then there's Mary and his brothers. We could say a number of things about that. Um, um, in response to the uh, errors of Catholicism, but we will skip over that for the time being. Uh, they were also of one mind, thirdly, uh, in their commitment to pray with one another. It says here in verse 14, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. And it wasn't just the disciples. It was the entire church was, was together. They were uh, devoting themselves in prayer. The, the word for devote is a, is a present participle. And the idea is that it is uh, a continuous action. And so they use... Um, or several translations talk about they continually devoted themselves to prayer to give you the sense of what uh, they were doing. They were praying and they kept praying and after they finished praying they prayed even more. Uh, I grew up in Palmetto, Georgia, out in the country. My dad has, uh, they still live there. In fact, our youth are going to stop over tonight and stay with my parents. On the, and we have 12 acres of land. About one acre is a pond, and about two or three acres are woods. And then the rest is just open grass. You don't know how many Saturdays I spent out on the bush hog cutting the grass. And during the summer, I had to be out there every Saturday because the grass grows um, 
And uh, but during I, I love baseball. And back then, you know, I think it was NBC had the game of the week. And I would I'd go out there and cut the grass until my dad wasn't paying attention. And I'd slip off that bush hog, and I'd go in and watch baseball. And my dad would come, and he would say, you've got to keep on keeping on until the job's done. This is what the disciples did. They prayed, and they prayed, and they kept devoting themselves to prayer. They didn't give up too quickly. They finished the job. And their prayers were not only continuous, they were persistent. Uh, Early on in my Christian life, I don't remember where I learned this quote, but it has been the the arrow, so to speak, that has helped point me in my prayers. It's a quote by one of the Puritans, Thomas Brooks. And uh, Thomas Brooks says, God hears no more than the heart speaks. And if the heart be dumb, God will certainly be deaf. And what I learned from that was um, not to simply mouth empty prayers, but to but to persist in prayer, to to uh, be fervent in prayer. I said I had an extended quote from Terry Johnson. Um, it's a bold quote, but it's a quote word for word that he spoke to his church. And um, I think it is worthy of us to hear. He says, how often have we found ourselves discussing these points in terms of prayer? He says, we have not because we ask not. Why will we not pray for revival? And he's not talking about revival where you sit up the, the tent and, and announce you know, 7 p.m. Monday night. He's not talking about that kind of revival. And he says, I am convinced that for the most part we toy with prayer. We pray a few times and then we give up. We call, an occasion, we call a congregational prayer meeting and about 15 of the 600 members attend. And of these, only a few, only a handful will be officers. How does one grow a church? It is, a matter of good, is it a matter of good ministers or good programs and lots of activity and nice facilities? These are the things that we rely on in this country. But the first church had none of these things. All they had was an upper room. Neither did the Korean church at the end of the first century. Only one thing is needful, and that is prayer. The apostolic church gathered for prayer. It was not just one or two in isolation who were praying. They were all together in prayer. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. The officers were present, of course, the eleven disciples. The women were present. The whole congregation were present. There is power in corporate prayer. The congregational prayer meeting is the powerhouse of the church, as they call it in Scotland. And I don't mean prayer for so-and-so's chest cold. There is plenty of that kind of prayer going on. I mean deep, extended wrestling with God for the outpouring of the spirit of power. We lack the power of God. Our ministries are tame and uneventful. And we lack true revival because we do not pray continuously for revival together. What would happen if we 
as a congregation, we're continually devoting ourselves to prayer for ten days. Just ten days. I won't ask because we won't do it. We won't commit to one day of prayer. No, we strain to get 2% out for one hour of prayer once a quarter. Why should God take us seriously if we will not follow the pattern of the early church? What they did preparing for Pentecost, they apparently continued to do. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says they continually were devoting themselves to prayer. Again, after Pentecost. Prayer was the characteristic of the apostolic church and the key to its success. Why should he think that we want true revival if we will gather for our desserts, for our parties, for our picnics, for nearly any excuse to get together but not for prayer? The apostles prayed down the Spirit. This will never happen among us unless there are fundamental changes in our outlook as a congregation. Most American Christians are practical atheists, or at least deists. We believe in a God who wound up the world and has not been heard from since, and we will not be heard from, or and will not be heard from. So what use is prayer? We have no concept of the potential of our prayers because our God can't do anything. Do you want revival? Do you really? Then let us be committed from the leadership on down to the belief in a God who hears and acts when called upon. Let us begin to call upon Him in congregational prayer. We need to begin to think big in terms of God's power to save and the possibility of tens of thousands of people turning to Christ in our area and the church is being jammed full of people. Only prayer can bring this about. Only a people who believe this are likely to pray. That's Terry Johnson. And uh, I will add my agreement to that. Their prayers were persistent. Their prayers were also corporate. They gathered together as a congregation. At my last church in South Carolina, we had a children's church. And uh, before the sermon, the uh, really before the pastoral prayer, the uh, parents would take children down to children's church and they would sing a hymn. And uh, if the... Um, and the, invariably by the time you took the kids downstairs you wouldn't get back until the uh, pastor um, had um, begun his pastoral prayer and so I would be the one who would take Will down to um, down to children's church or, or any of my children um, and um, so I would come back up and everybody in great reverence would stand outside the door out in the narthex and talk so that they wouldn't disturb the pastor while they were in prayer and I think that's not right and I would always come inside the church because I wanted so intently to agree with the pastor in prayer because the intercessory prayer we have our elders pray the intercessory prayers of the church of the congregation are that important and so I want to urge you to agree fervently to agree earnestly with the prayers that our elders are lifting up during the, the congregational prayer time uh, the, the church was praying together as a church the next condition the church must have settled its leadership and I'll be much more brief here they searched the, count, the scriptures for counsel um, 
as Peter stood up, he says, Brothers, verse 16, the scripture had to be fulfilled, or the Greek literally uses the word day. It is necessary that the scriptures be fulfilled. Um, that they find a replacement. Well, you say, well, why did they need to find a replacement? Why 12? Um, They quote Psalm 109, and in context, I think Psalm 109 um, helps give rationale to that. Jesus had been teaching them that they were the new Israel. Uh, In fact, in Matthew chapter 19, he told the disciples that they would be sitting on 12 thrones uh, judging Israel. And so they identified with the new Israel. In fact, in Revelation chapter 21, we see the 12 apostles, there are 12, um, everything squared by 12s. And part of that reason is that there were 12 uh, apostles. And then what closed the deal for me was that uh, Luke, who is the author of Acts, mentions the twelve at the beginning of Acts chapter 6. So if he's mentioning the twelve, it means that he has agreed that Mattathias uh, should have been added to the eleven to be the twelve. That it wasn't necessarily the, the Apostle Paul was an apostle abnormally born, or as he, as he says... Um, but it is not one of the twelve apostles. So I changed my view on that um, and do see that their their decision to choose Mattathias was um, was a godly and right decision. They sought a qualified replacement. In verse 21, so one of the men uh, who have accompanied us during all that time that the Lord Jesus went out and in and out among us. They're looking for the qualifications. One of the qualifications, and it is explicit in the Greek, the word andros is the word for man. So they sought a man specifically to be uh, one of the um, twelve, even though there were many prominent women uh, there among them. And then the second qualification, he must have been with Christ from the beginning. It says then that they prayed and and sought the Lord, and then they did something that is uh, still wrestling with. They cast lots, rolled the dice. Um, That's not exactly what happened. Um, This is a God had um, set up this idea of casting lots in the Old Testament. We do not make that decision uh, as used lots to cast decisions to make decisions as a uh, as a session today Um, but rather this is um, I think only on this occasion maybe the Lord Jesus told them on this occasion they should do this uh, but I don't think it should be practiced today but I think that they were right in employing it on this occasion how do we find God's will Well, we do as they do. We seek the Scriptures. And when the Scripture tells us to do something, that's it. Then we must not ask, is it possible? We must decide, okay, we're going to do it. And then we pray, and we ask God for the wisdom in carrying it out. Okay, God, this is what you have called us to do. Um, We are willing to do it. Give us your wisdom. Let us know the best way to carry it out. And um, then make that decision decisively.
Um, I think that is as simple as that. For God has spoken clearly. The message of the church is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And our mission is to take that message and to be His witnesses. That is not a question for us. We must do that. We'll pray about how we should do it, but we must do it. And we must be willing to rearrange priorities. We must be willing to rearrange personal schedules. We must be willing to gather together for prayer and ask for that power. But we must do it. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, I pray that you would help us to become a church that learns to be um, continuous, persistent, and congregational in our prayer life as we seek your face, asking you to help us to be your witnesses, to be effective uh, as your witnesses, to uh, never shrink back or give up or um, or as I taught the the uh, third through fifth graders in Sunday school this morning uh, be like Elijah and hide in a cave Father help us to go forward help us to be bold in our witness help us to know that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to us in order that we might be your witnesses Father we ask these things in Jesus name Amen